want to talk to you about seeing and believing. You know, how's the old saying go? Seeing is believing. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that believing is seeing. Huh? Believing is seeing. And we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to talk about uh, the prophet Elisha. Um, as I was... I normally just ask the Lord, you know, hey, what do you want to say? And he, he usually tells me when I ask him. This time I was just driving down the road and he started, I'm in the, the car with my kids and he started downloading. He just, he just out of the blue started saying this, this, this. And I'm driving and my kids, you know how kids are going, right? And I'm, I'm just telling the Lord, I'm like, all right. You're going to have to remember this, because I, I, this is really great. And I was having a private party in my car, going down the road, just going, man, this is really great. And my kids, obviously, are wondering where I went, you know, because I'm, I'm off uh, having a good time with the Lord. But he started laying this on me, and it's, it's just, it's so rich. And I have, I threw away pages 27 and 29 of my notes, so it's going to be a little shorter version. But... uh I honestly did pull a, a couple of things out because I just, I'm not going to be able to get to it because I like to, I like us to get to the point. I like us to, I always feel like the Lord's trying to do something. Do you ever get that sense? That, you know, when we come together, this is not just so that I can say a thing and you can hear a thing. It's so that we can, something changes. You notice that whenever Jesus got up and when he, when he did, did his thing, something changed. The lives changed. And that's, that's what we, that's what we want. That's what, Heaven is, uh, the currency of heaven is decisions. Do you know that? Do you notice that, uh, when does heaven throw a party, according to Jesus in Luke 15? Huh? When what? Yeah. When one sinner repents, what does he say? There's just, there's party in heaven. So when you make a, and when you make a quality decision for the Lord, heaven rejoices. Huh? You build a new building, okay, that's nice. But there's not, you know, nobody ever says party in heaven. But you get one guy to make one good decision to turn toward the kingdom, heaven goes off. Amen? So that's what we want to drive at together today. I'm just, I just want to, I want to lay some, some truth out there for you. And I want you to take that and make some quality decisions for the Lord. Amen? We can do that together. Alright, so uh, here's, uh, here's this cool story of Elisha. And the chariots of fire. Are we in Second Kings 6? Uh, so the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. Well, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware passing that place because the Arameans are going to go down there. I'd like to have that guy on your team. Isn't that nice? So the king of Israel would check the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This guy had a regular prophetic ministry with the king, with accuracy. I love it. Well, this enraged the king of Aram. Uh, he summoned his officers and he demanded, Will you not tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? In other words, there's got to be a leak here somewhere. Here's what they said. None of us, my lord the king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. I like that. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. He's in Dothan. Where's God? 
He's in Dothan. Where's the man of God? In Dothan. Where's the prophetic stuff happening? In Dothan. I didn't pick that for this. I was, just, I was on this. God gave me the stuff, and I didn't even know Dothan was in there. But it's in Dothan. Where is it happening? In Dothan. Come on. That's good. I don't think they had Atlanta back then, so they just had to use Dothan. No. Dothan, baby. Um, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. He went by night to surround the city. So what's he going to do? He's going to go kill the prophet, cut off, cut off the prophet. So... Here's, this is the story right here. This is where we're going. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? I believe the servant was southern. He said, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. What shall we do? Look at, look at the prophet. He says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed, to the Lord. And he said, strike these people with blindness. So he said, Lord, open his eyes, but close their eyes. I want this guy to see, and I want them not to see. Interesting. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. So he pulls like the old Jedi mind trick, right? These are not the droids. You have to wave your hand. This, this isn't, you're, you're in the wrong place. So he fooled them, and he took them down the road. And it says he took them to Samaria. And after he entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. You see, he's opening and closing. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria, the enemy city, in front of the, the, the enemy king. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? If you've got kids, you know what that looks like. Can I kill them? Can I kill them? Can I kill them? Now? 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 Don't kill them, he said. Would you kill men you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they can eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they'd finished it eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. I should think so. If this happened to you, you know, you get struck blind, you come up and you show up and here's all these guys ready to kill you and they feed you. And they send you off. Good to see you again. See you next time. I'm not going there anymore. So, so God used this opening and closing of eyes to, to pull off this great victory. But the point, the, the thing I want to talk to you about today is Elisha said to his servant, don't be afraid, there are more who are for us than who are against us. Now, the truth, I want to talk to you about the truth. The truth is, there was a foreign army surrounding the city. Okay, is that the truth? Is that reality? That's reality. Reality is, the servant got up and he looked out and they were surrounded 
by people who wanted to kill them. That's the truth. That was their reality. But is that all the truth? Was that the highest reality? Did they understand everything about that situation? They didn't. So Elisha says to the servant, says to the Lord, Lord, open my servant's eyes because he needs to see. He needs to see what I know. Now, let me ask you. Reality. There were, it was a grim situation. There were people surrounding, ready to kill. But the other half of that situation was that on, and once, once Elisha's servant's eyes were opened, what did he see? Hills, as far as you can see, full of fiery horses and chariots. More, there were more for them than there were for them, right? So which is the truth? Which is the true truth? Which is the real reality? Yeah. Now, let me ask you. When, when, it, when the servant's eyes were opened, did that cause all those chariots and horsemen to come flooding in all of a sudden? Kind of get the sense they were already there, huh? Doing whatever fiery horsemen and chariots do when they're hanging out. You know, having coffee or firing each other or whatever, whatever they do when they hang out. They were there. The truth is, They were there on those hills. Yes or no? They were there ahead of time. But here's the servant, right? Little servant guy gets up in the morning early, goes out there. And what he sees is, I see the enemy. There's a reality here. He goes back to tell the man of God. And he says, there's a problem. There's a reality that I need to let you in on. We are surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. There's something I know that you don't know. There's something I can see that you can't see. And when he pulls the curtain down, that's what revelation is, is when you just lift up, God, you say, God, reveal that to me. He just lifts that up and suddenly you can see reality. So you see, there's a, there's a lesser reality and there's a greater reality. What I want to encourage you guys to do is, not, is to live by the greater reality. God is not trying to convince us by faith. God is not trying to convince us to believe some far-fetched idea. He's just trying to, to get you to believe what's really, really true already. Huh? Amen? Is this true? I'm going to, I want to walk you through a few examples so you can kind of get it, where you can see God's, where, where God is helping us live by reality. Um, you know, Jesus said in John seven twenty four, he makes a cool statement. He says, uh, I want to read it to you because I don't want to get it wrong. He says, stop, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. What that means is, when he uses the word mere, that means it's a lesser thing. Don't go by what you merely can see. Go by what's real, what's really happening. And I'm going to show you just a few examples, one right after the other, to, to kind of where you can get a sense of uh, that there is a higher reality that we need to be in touch with. Uh, let's look at uh, Elisha's predecessor, 
uh, Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1. Flip back to chapter 1. And we'll see this uh, neat interchange between Elijah and some of the foreign armies. Uh, so, uh, verse 9, down in verse 9 it says, Elijah, uh, the, the king, sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill. And he said to him, Man of God, king says, you come down here. So here's 50 armed guys and, and a leader. And he says, hey, man of God, the king says, come down here. So Elijah answers the captain. If I'm a man of God, then may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. Hey, come on. How about that now? Oh, man of God? Sure. Hold on. Stay, everybody stand together real close there. Ready? Fire. Now, my guess is Elijah knew that there were fiery horsemen and chariots on every hill around him. And he, he just basically just said, hey guys, dog pile. You know, just jump on that guy right there. Throw, one of you guys just throw a little something on him. Uh, at this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with 50 new men. Right? You know the difference between the, the girl that feeds the, the, that works in feeding the sharks in the shark tank and the, and the, the dolphin tank? So every day in the dolphin tank, a pretty girl swims in and feeds the dolphins. And over in the shark tank, every day a new pretty girl swims in. Well, here they got, we got the new recruits, the new 50 coming in. And, uh, same thing happens. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. Elijah said, well, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king, what's the definition of insanity? Do the same thing, thing over and over again, expecting different results. He sent a third captain with his 50 men. And the third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. What a smart guy. Well, he walked through two piles of crispy critters. To get, you know, there's fried people with their arm with their armor on, you know, and the guy, and he just said, "Oh, excuse me, sir, if I may trouble you, so much." He says, "Man of God," he begged, "Please have respect for my life and the lives of these fifty men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains of their men, but now have respect for my life." Well, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and do not be afraid of him. That's an odd thing to say. You think Elijah was afraid of these guys? Well, truth be told, sometimes even when you got the fire coming from heaven, you're a little human. Huh? But he told me, he said, you, you can totally go. You, you, know, you don't have to burn them all up here. You can just go with them and you don't have to worry. You just, you just go. Elijah functioned out of a place where he knew there was a greater reality. You see what I'm saying? When 50 guys came, he didn't panic. He didn't sweat it. In fact, I'd say by the time he got to the third 50, you know, you're in a groove. You feel pretty, you're like, okay, hey, there's another 50. Anybody, anybody bothered by this? You're, you know, but he, but he lived in that reality. He saw that the greater, there is a reality. There's 50 guys here trying to tie me up and take me off to the king. But the greater reality is, hey, I'm a man of God. And if I'm a man of God, just I'll just tell one of those angels over there to whack that guy. And he did. That's the way 
we should live, knowing the reality, the reality that's beyond what we can see. Again, am I, is God trying to coax you into believing some kind of strange, far-out thing? No, He's just telling you how it is. It's just how it is. God's got power to spare. He's got angels everywhere. It's true. So, Elijah knew about the fiery reality. We're on fire today, apparently. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, Elijah's on Mount Carmel. And you know this story, right? Fire falls from heaven and uh, destroys the, the... You know, he has a showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal, remember? And he calls for fire. He gets to taunt Baal a little bit. You know, what's the matter with your God? Is he in the bathroom or something? So he, he has a good time with that. But then after he kills the 450 prophets of Baal, there's this cool little thing. It had not rained. The reason they were having the showdown is it hadn't rained in three years. Elijah prayed, Oh Lord, stop the rain. And the Lord stopped the rain. It's three years now. No rain. And so, um, now that they've had the showdown, Ahab, is, uh, Elijah's going to pray and get the rain back. So, Elijah, this is verse 41 of uh, 1 Kings 18. He says, uh, Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for there's the sound of a heavy rain. Love that. I can hear something. I hear rain. It's dry. It's dusty. It's been three years. Not one drop. Not a cloud in the sky. And Elijah says, Elijah says, you know, I hear rain. I hear a big, heavy rain. He said, go tell that to the king. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and he bent down and, he, and put his face between his knees. And he told his servant, look at this. He said, go look toward the sea. In other words, he's asking a question. Go, go, what, tell me if you see anything. And he went up and looked. There's nothing, he said. And seven times, Elijah sent him back. Do you see anything? Didn't see anything. See any cloud? No cloud. Where's the cloud? No cloud. Seven times. Then the seventh time, the servant said, well, there is this little thing. It's a little cloud about the size of a man's hand, and it's coming up off the sea. Just a this little, can hardly even see it. So Elijah said, again, why don't you go tell the king, you better hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, and a wind rose, and a heavy rain came on Ahab, uh, came on, and Ahab rose off, rode off to Je- Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way into Jezreel. In front of him, horses! old prophet guy with his tuck and he's gone. I love that. But you see, Elijah lived in in a different reality. As soon as the thing was over, it's still dry and dusty and he says, hey hey guy, go tell him I hear rain. I, I hear it. I know it's there. And nobody else heard it. He didn't even, do you think he really actually heard it in his ears? No. But he said, there is the sound. There is the sound of the abundance of rain. There is a sound. That's the reality. And seven times he goes back, and every time the servant comes back, Elijah says, well, go look again. I know there's rain. Go look again. Why don't you go look one more time? And he came back, and sure enough, there was rain. And by the time before they could get back, he said, you better hitch up and go, because you're going to get caught in this mess. It's going to be a torrential downpour. Three years of held up rain is coming. Elijah lived in a different reality. He saw it. He saw the truth. You get it? Can you kind of see that? 
that there's a truth beyond what you can see? Truth beyond what you can know? Because, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I think sometimes we have, we believe what we see only. It's okay. I'm not telling you what you see is not true. I'm not telling you that at all. It's just not all the truth. Huh? What, what you can see, your situation, your circumstance, that's yeah, true. But it's mere appearance. It's a lesser truth. It's not the whole story. You see it? The, whole, the, the battle is won not from what you can see, but from what actually is beyond what you can see. Huh? We're not trying to conjure something up. We're trying to see what actually is. Uh, I'll show you in the life of, uh, of Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6. It's a classic story. Um, and what I want to start doing, I, believe, I felt like here's what the Lord's trying to do. He wants to hammer away at some of the lies you've been believing. Some of the half-truths you've been sold. Huh? I mean, you know, the devil is in full-time business telling you wrong stuff. That's his job. If he didn't do that, he'd be being a bad devil. We'd have to fire him and get another. He's doing, that's, what, that's all he does. He is the what of the brethren? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the guy that, his job is to tell you wrong things. To get you thinking wrong, to get you worried about what you see, worried about what's going to happen to you. That's, that's like his whole job, to accuse you, to make you feel bad before the Lord. But God is in the opposite business. What did Jesus come to destroy? I've come here to destroy the world. I came to undo what he's trying to do. He's over there trying to confuse you and scare you and depress you. And I've come that you can have life to the full. I've come to bring you joy. Hey, why don't we trade in our... I'll trade you the oil of joy for your garment of depression. Can we, can we make that trade? That's what Jesus is doing. Look at, look at Gideon in uh, Judges 6 and verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and th- that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. And by the way, when you run across those big words, you just say them real strong and people believe that's how you're supposed to say them. Um, where his son Gideon was threshing at the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were coming in taking all their stuff. So basically what you have here is Gideon is threshing wheat in a... Do you thresh wheat in a wine press? Is that where you're supposed to do that? Supposed to be on the threshing floor, right? He's over here hiding, looking out for the Midianites over here threshing. We trying to stay away from the people who are coming in to oppress him. He's totally in hiding. You know, he's 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 kind of a little bit cowardly at this moment. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." And Gideon went. Yeah. You are talking to me. You see, you see me down here in the thing, threshing behind the hiding from the Midianites. But sir, Gideon said, if the Lord is truly with us, I like that. Gideon's an honest man. He said what we all think sometimes, but we won't say. He said, hey, if the Lord's really with us, why has all this happened to us? If I'm living all in victory, what's, what's with this? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and He's put us right here in the hand of Midian. Well, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel. You. 
Gideon, why don't you go and save Israel out of Midian's hand? Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my whole family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, all the Midianites together. You see, the Lord showed up and He said this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, we have the benefit of history behind us. Was Gideon a mighty warrior? Yes. Did he strike down the Midianites altogether? Yes, he did. Do you remember the story? He didn't do it with thousands and thousands of troops. He sent half his people home because he said, look, if you're scared, go. And then even that was too many. And the Lord said, take them down there and the guys that are drinking like this, you can have those guys. So he had 300 guys. He was already outnumbered, you know, multiples to one. Then God cuts it in half, cuts it down. And then he says, okay, you've got 300 guys you can go attack with now. And you don't get any weapons. Here's what you do. Here's your pot and here's your lamp. This is what you do. So, okay, I got no sword. I got a pot and a lamp. Great. You guys ready? Well, you know the story. They won. Gideon is a mighty warrior. The angel was not trying to convince him of something. He was telling him the truth. Yeah, but I'm down here, you know, hiding from the enemy, trying to thresh things. You are a mighty warrior. That's the fact. Listen to me. When history is over, you will be shown for the mighty warrior you are. I'm sorry it's so hard for you to believe. You can thank bad religion and your parents, whoever's been telling you, whoever the enemy's been using to tell you that you're worth nothing, you'll never amount to anything, that you're insignificant. It's just not true. It's just not true. I know there's a part of you that believes that, that is going to fight me. Somebody's ready to get over the seat and come fight me over that right now. I am too insignificant. Tell me. My parents have told me for years that I'll amount to nothing. But the truth is, you are a mighty warrior. We are going to ride with Jesus in that number. I will be on a white horse. Huh? Jesus said, uh, or, uh, Jesus said, you know, there's never ever been anyone greater till now than John the Baptist. He's a wild man. He's the greatest ever. But he said, you know what? The least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Would you qualify for the least in the kingdom? I believe I would. I'd sign on for that right now. You're greater than John the Baptist, man. That's just the truth. I'm not trying to get you to screw up your courage and try to be something. No, I'm just telling you it's true. You're not insignificant. I don't care who told you what. I don't care what your parents told you. It's true. Is it or isn't it? Come on. Now, were there fiery horses and chariots or not? Is that true or not? Which is it? It was true, wasn't it? You couldn't see it at the time. But faith sees what you can't see. Faith knows what you can't know. It's, it, it knows that it's there. I pray that your eyes are open and you can see all the angels that are in this room right now. 
I just pray that'd be awesome. How about that? Lord, just open it up. We were in Peru. And uh, we were ministering and praying for some people, some sick people getting healed. And what'd you see? Was it was it an angel standing behind the? You know, Vince is just we're just ministering, carrying on, you know, doing whatever. And he looks over and there's this big angel standing there. We didn't ask for that. It was just the Lord went boop and opened his eyes. You know, and the one we were uh, I can't remember we've done so much, but anyway, we were one place and the, the angel standing behind this one lady. And he's messing with her. He was just ministering to her or something. And I was over here and Vincent was kind of ministering. And he's like, whoa. He said, that lady right there. He said, Lance, go go get her. Go get her quick. Because <laughs> she's standing there and she's just like. And I went, I just went, you know, I was like, God, Vincent's acting kind of weird. And I went over there and before I could get to her, I mean, she was in the middle of the road. I went over to get to her. It was like somebody just knocked her through all them people. And, you know, the, he could see. The angel doing the thing. They're here now. It's just the truth. I think if we ever get a hold of that there are more on our side than there are on the other side, we're going to start acting a little differently. We'll be a little, have a little more courage. Huh? Angels and all that stuff, that's just the power of God at our disposal. We're in good shape. We're the winning team. You know, you ever get the feeling that you're just, oh, I'm just, you know, like Gideon says, I'm just, I'm just one little guy in a ragtag bunch of people. What are we ever going to do? What are, how are we ever going to save Israel? He's telling here, telling me, the least of the least of the least, to go out and save Israel. And he says, you know, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. You know, if Dothan Christian Fellowship decided to gather together and said, we're going to do some great thing. You know, the town might look at you and go, yeah, great. But if Dothan Christian Fellowship and God come marching in, the town's going to say, what happened? Who are these people? You know, people ask me, you know, I go to, I've done some work with the underground church in China. You know, they say, hey man, aren't you scared to go to China? Aren't you scared of that stuff? I say, I don't know, hang on a second. Jesus, are we scared to... Are we is this, are, are we scared to do this or not? I'll go anywhere with him, as long as he's with me. Huh? And that's what he says here. I will be with you. He told him, I will be with you. So I, I want to just strike down lie number one. You are not insignificant. You know, there's all those trite little sayings, God plus one makes a majority, blah, blah, blah. But there's a little kernel of truth in there. If, if God is sending you, you can do anything. To anybody at any time. With God on your side, nothing's impossible. Huh? I just I just think the enemy's trying to come against your destiny. I think he's trying to tell you, no, you're you know, you're just flailing around here. You're just floundering. It's nothing nothing's ever gonna come of you and your thing. I just want to tell you, if I was the devil, that's what I'd say to you too. That's what, exactly what I'd tell you. I'd say, nah, you know, you're not going to make it. Look at you. Look where you come from. You're not qualified. What's wrong with you? Think you're going to save somebody. Get, sit, sit back down. That's what the enemy says, huh? How many of you recognize that voice? You ever heard that before? You know? I get that a lot. You know, you, you just hear that. I just want to tell you, it's a lie. It's the enemy's last desperate attempt to, to immobilize you with fear. Because he knows if you get up and start doing something, he's in trouble. 
Come on, amen. It's true. It's true. Uh, here's one. I'm, you know, I'm not qualified. I'm really, you know, that's kind of what Gideon was saying there, right? I'm just not qualified to do that. You know, I, who am I? You know, you see my background. You know my qualifications. Well, I just want to read you one. Uh, you can turn there later in, in Colossians 1. In verse 12, it says that we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. What makes you qualified? What makes you think you're qualified? Oh, I don't know. God qualified me? How's that? I put that on my resume? What are your qualifications? God qualified me? So I get, is, that, is that good enough for you? Is that, can I fit in here with just, a, I mean, it's just God that's doing the qualifying of me? Or here's the one from uh, uh, from Second uh, Corinthians three. He says, "Such confidence is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God, who has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant." What makes you think you got any skill? Well, God made me competent. Is that all right with you? Can I? Will you guys let me in here? There's some places you can't get in with that. I mean, that's just that's not good enough. But I say to you, if God makes you competent, you're competent. God makes you qualified. If He qualifies you, you qualify. Is it true or not? See, we've got to start to live by the truth. We've got to stand on what we know to be true, regardless of because you are going to get the flood of voices telling you otherwise. And honestly, sometimes we just go with the flood. We just roll with whatever that little voice tells us. Man, that day's over. Whose report are you going to believe? Me? I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. They come to you telling you that you you can't do it. I say, well, I think I can. Matter of fact, I'm sure I can. My competence is from God. He has qualified me. For the inheritance of the saints. You know what the inheritance of the saints is? Uh, according to Psalm or to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 54, it says, No weapon formed against me will prosper, and I will have total victory over all my enemies. This is the inheritance of the saints. Huh? So I'm qualified to inherit that. That every enemy goes right under my foot. That's the end of my qualification. I think it's enough. I think it's enough. How about timing? This is just not the time. We're waiting for this big move of God to hit. We're waiting. God's going to do something in the future. Man, ten years from now, it'll be great. Jesus said, why do you say four months more and then the harvest? Lift up your eyes. The field is ripe for harvest now. Now's the time. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to believe that Something big is going to happen way down the road because then you can quit living now and you can just wait for that. All right, now y'all are looking at me. That's, do you get a lot of that? You know, is that a temptation or not? To think, oh yeah, there's going to be some big thing. Let me tell you, the world is sick and dying now. The world is desperate now. There's never been, we've never, the world's never seen a culture like we have now uh, that is hungry for the authentic. You know what I'm saying? These people who are saying, don't give me that phony stuff. See, that's why... You know, people are all down on religion. I'm a little down on it myself. Because I don't want 
religion. I need reality. I need some. I need. I need the power of God. I need help. I need the real stuff. And the world is hungry for that. Now's a great time. The harvest is white now. You don't have to wait. Get in it now. Amen. I'm about to preach myself happy. So what's the truth? Is it, is it, is it, should we wait? Or is it now? The truth is now. You've got to start standing for the truth. You've got to pick the truth out. Are you qualified or not? What's the truth? The truth is, I really, really am. That's called faith. That's called believing the Word of God. And that's what we've got to engage. That's the way we've got to live. We've got to live seeing the unseeable. Because I just know it's there. Do you know it? Got to know it. Here's the other thing, you know, maybe, but yeah, I'm not the guy for that. You know, I mean, I, okay, yeah, God loves me and He's qualified me and all that, but I, I just don't know if this is for me. I don't know if, I don't know if I can make an impact in this area. I don't know if I can, if, if it's me or not. Let me just tell you, it's you. Here's First Corinthians 1. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You're perfect for this job. You're perfect. He chose us. I mean, look around. Look around you. In the natural, we don't have many road scholars in here. I was a pastor at a little church out in the uh, sticks of South Carolina. We were having some kind of function. One of these guys who had never been there is a friend, but from uh, outside. He came in. He's like, he met a few people, met this guy, met that guy. He said, where do you get these people? <laughs> I said, yeah, these are my people. God chose us. Huh? He wants people just like us to do this. You know, we're cut out, we're perfect for this. Amen? Somebody said all the weird bugs find the light, right? I can stay I can stand in that line. You're perfect for this. Um, you know, you may say, Well, we're we're at a point where we don't have enough resources. Anybody feeling the pinch from the economy? Let me let me show you another one. This was page 29 that I threw away out of my notes. But Jesus, when, when all the crowd, he had 5,000 people stuck around. And he said, uh, you know, they've been out here a long time and I really can't send them away hungry. They might faint. I, we, need to, we need to feed them. So he says to one of his disciples, hey, you feed them. Why don't, why don't you give them something? That's a faith question. I want to know where he's at. And it says that he, he did it. What did he say? He said he did it because he already had in mind what he was going to do. It was just a test question. You know, Jesus is allowed to do that. He said, you feed them. They said, it would take eight months' wages 
to buy enough bread for everyone to just have one bite. That's what it says. So I don't know what eight months wages is, you know, $30,000 or whatever. You know, but they said, we just can't even, that just doesn't even, I don't know what you're saying. And what Jesus said was, he said, all right, have them sit down in groups of 50. And then Peter comes along and is like, oh, hey, i got five fish and bread, but how far will that go among so many? And what Jesus showed them was, when he gave thanks, he showed them in the atmosphere, in heaven, in the heavenly realm, there is bread and there are fish. There is provision. It was already there. Huh? Jesus didn't make it happen. He brought it out of the storehouses. It's like those fiery chariots. They're sitting on the hills. Provision, $30,000, is sitting on the hills. It's just sitting there. And Jesus walked. That's why He never once had a problem with provision. He just knew God will do it. They said, man, how are we going to pay the tax? He said, Peter, tell you what. Why don't you run down there and catch a fish and open his mouth? And there would be a couple of coins in there. Just give him that. Well, that's a solid financial plan. Thanks. But it is. It's because Jesus knows. He's aware of what we cannot see. And He's called us. We're, We're His followers. We should be seeing what He sees. We should be doing. We should be living according to what we know to be true that we can't yet see. Does that make sense? Isn't that what we should be doing? We are fully funded. There are enough resources. God is able, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Did I leave anything out there? All things, all times, everything, everything you need, all the time, abound in every good work. He says, He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be made gen- so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will uh will result in thanksgiving to God. You're going to be made rich. See, when you get a time like this where the economy is in this very noticeable slump. I mean everybody's having a hard time. That's when God loves to bless his people and cause you to become a resource center. An island of blessing among the, the desert. You're an oasis. And people come to you. you know, there's a scripture that says, God, the righteous surround me because you have dealt bountifully with me. He's not, you know, he, we're not all going to be driving Rolls Royces. That's not the point. The point is, he's, he has resources available to you to prosper you. And so in this time, when people say, Who, who's got the answers? Christians go, well, we do. We're qualified. We're competent and we we've got the resources that at our disposal as we need to call them up there are resources to be had thirty thousand dollars or whatever you know the 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 cost of bread to feed five thousand i can just pull that out of the out of heaven it's there available to us you get that it makes more sense about the manna right feeding two million folks in the desert four million really if you count all the kids and everybody four million people going through the desert run the logistics on that and so every day, God doesn't go and make bread. He just lets the bread be. They just go out and get the bread that's on there because it is. You see what I'm saying? 
Those are, that's the resources of heaven available to us at all times. So we need to live according to what we know to be true. You get it? How about that? How about if we started living out of there? So I want to just, I want to just lead us in, in some decisions. Well, let me give you this last one because it's, it's worthy. I talked a little bit about it in Isaiah 54. How many of you... I just feel like the Lord is saying a thing, particularly over this house, about tangles. Your life's been a little bit tangled up. You know what I'm saying? You get a little knot. Or, in my case, a conglomeration of knots. You get a whole pile of them. Looks like one of those fishing lines, you know, a bird's nest, right? God is in the untangling business. You know, if you take a guy who's a, in the military, who's an anti-tank guy. He's anti, he has an anti-tank uh, weapon. When the tank comes over the hill, everybody else runs away. And he goes, hey! Tank! Tank! And he takes it, and he, he, he runs toward the battle when the tank comes. Because that's his thing. God's thing is tangles. He's never met a messed up life he couldn't unmess. He just loves it. He, it's something about him. It just, it's what he does. So you may be thinking, you may be hearing it. You know, you hear that, oh, but, you, but you're so messed up. God, look at your past. Look how many, you have not upon not upon not. That's all right. That means you're in God's bullseye. That means he looks at you and goes, hey, you I like. We can, let me, can I just, if you don't mind, I mean, there's all these other people with little knots, but he comes to you and says, hey, yeah, yeah I, like, I like this. Let me, I, let me, let me work on you first. It's a challenge. God has never met a knot He couldn't untangle. He is the untangler. He makes sense out of our lives. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? He says in Isaiah 54, He says, Sing, barren woman who never bore a child. Burst in the song a child for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. How about that? Isn't that seeing something that isn't, calling something that's not as though it is? I like it. He says, uh, uh, down in verse uh, 4, he says, Don't be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Come on. He's saying all that stuff, all those old knots, you can forget about it. You, it's not gonna, it's not gonna bother you anymore. For your maker is your husband. Lord Almighty is, uh, is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back. As if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected. God calls us back. He says, for a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion, I'll bring you back. Look, look down in verse, uh, nine. He said, to me, he says, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn to you, I have sworn to not be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. There's a promise you can rest on. I swore I'll never cover the water with the, the earth with water like I did in the days of Noah. And I'm swearing to you, I'll never be angry with you ever again. You tell all them religious people just to keep on walking. God's not angry with you. He loves you. 
Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise and foundations of sapphires. Listen to this. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You'll have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed from you. It will not come near you. Now look at this. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. You get attacked, it ain't God. Come on. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. This makes me happy. If somebody attacks you, they will surrender to you. That's total victory. Total victory. Somebody attacks you, you ought to get happy. That ought to just make you happy. Woo! This guy's attacking me. It just means it's a matter of time before he surrenders. Is that what it says? How many of you think this is a little too good to be true? See, it's I who created the blacksmith. So on and so on. He says, no weapon, and here it is, no weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. That's our inheritance. You're qualified. How many of you qualify? Are you qualified to share in the inheritance? What makes you think you're qualified? What's wrong with you? Well, God qualified me. So let me ask you a couple questions and we'll wrap. Who do you want to be? Let's go back to the story of Elisha and his servant, the slave. You've got a seer and the seer's slave. The seer says, the slave comes back and says, ah, we're under attack. And the seer says, don't be afraid. There are more who are for us and who are against us. And the seer says, hey, Lord, why don't you open his eyes? I don't, I, don't see, I don't see anything on the hills, but I know they're there. Do you want to be the seer or the slave of the seer? I want to be the seer. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see it. You know, do you want to be a man of God or know a man of God? Yeah, it's a great privilege to know a man of God, serve a man of God, but won't you just be it? Huh? Don't have somebody else pray for you to open your eyes. Why don't you just have your eyes open? Huh? That's who I want to be. So here's some quality decisions we could make based on this. Y'all get ready. Everybody wake yourself up and say, I, 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 need, to, I need to get my decision maker on here. You know, either we don't know the truth, or we don't remember, we forget the truth. Or we don't live according to the truth. I, I slip into all those categories at different times. So I want to I challenge you today to base your life on the truth. Do you live as though you have all the resources of heaven at your disposal? I'll be the first to tell you, I, I don't. I really don't. But I am working on it. I'm, start, I'm trying to renew my mind to get to the place where that's the way I live. Would that be a better way to live? Do, do we live according to 
the absolute truth. Uh, here's, a de- here's a decision you can make. How about you said this? I'm going to change my lifestyle to where I can soak in the truth on a regular basis. How do you know your mind needs renewing? That means what happens is if you don't get it renewed, it just keeps turning old. It just goes old. It just does. Because all this flood of enemy propaganda that's hitting your radar screen makes you think old. But we need our mind renewed. Here's one thing you can do today. You may not go out here and win the town of Dothan to Jesus today, but you know what you can do? You can change your lifestyle so that you spend more time in God's presence, in His Word, having your mind renewed. How about that? Did you sign on for that? Could we make a decision that maybe we'll make some change? I'll, I'll change something about the way I do. Something about my schedule. I'll read a little more. I'll get up a little earlier. I'll whatever. Some, nothing legalistic, but just something. You're going to make a change in the way you do life so that your mind will be renewed. Your mind will be open to these things. How about that? Anybody on for that? That'd be good. That's a quality decision. Because once God gets you rolling in that direction, see, He can start saying other things to you. He can start showing you more reality. He can start peeling that thing back a little more. Pretty soon, when you see what's going on in the heavenlies around you, uh, you're different. Uh, How about if we said we would stay aware of His presence? Practicing His presence daily. Practicing His presence moment by moment. That'd be good. Let's carry what we do in our little prayer closet. Let's carry that out in the world. That'd be good. And I'm going to believe. I'm going to refuse to believe the lie, and I'm going to believe the truth. How many of you feel like maybe you're... you're sometimes you lose the battle with the voices in your head. That sometimes the, the tapes that are playing in the background from your parents or your whoever in the past, are there, that those things went out. You know, sometimes that happens. Hey... How about, how about we turn the tide on that? How about we refuse to believe that? You know what the Bible says? It says if you resist the devil, he has to flee. It doesn't say you have to beat him. It doesn't say stand there and pull your sword out and, and y'all go at it. He says just resist. So when you hear that thing, just say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm competent. I'm qualified. I'm chosen. Now's the time. All my tangles are going to get fixed. I think I'll I think I'll move forward. That's how you resist the devil. You just say no, no thanks to your lies anymore. Can we just let's pray that way, shall we? Let's pray and let's do business again. You, you can make heaven party just by your own personal decision. You know, you don't have to come up here or do any kind of you know thing. But if you will do serious business with God and make some quality decisions, whatever they are. In fact, I want to just pray that over you right now. That the Holy Spirit will tell you. Right now, let's just listen. Don't even pray. Let me just let me just pray for you and you just listen. Lord, I pray you'll speak to my friends. And tell them right now. In their heart. Mention to them. What it is you want them to do. What 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 quality decisions they can make about about what we just talked about. Or speak to them. Right now. Uh, if you if you if you've got a little idea in your heart about what maybe you feel like the Lord's wanting you to do, what He's wanting you to change, 
Let's just, why don't you go ahead and just pray into that. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, we hear You. We want to live according to what's the truth. We do. God, I pray that You'll make us more attentive to Your Word. Change our schedule. Make us uh, more ready to believe You and not the report of the world. For right now, we strike down and we reject and we resist. We turn away from the report from the world that says we're, we're not worthy. That says we're not going to amount to anything. It says we're insignificant or disqualified or too messed up to do any good. Lord, I just, I just strike that down in Jesus' name. I resist it. And I, tell, I, I, I believe Your Word. I believe Your Word. You have qualified us. You have made us competent. And we stand in that right now. Lord, forgive us for the past, for where we've cowered under the voices. We just, we just repent of that and turn away from that. And we, we are cleansed from that as we speak. And Lord, now we purpose in our hearts to follow You, to see You, to see the truth, to live by the greater reality. Lord, that's what's in our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven rejoicing any? Anybody decide something good? It's good.